Welcome to this episode of HBCU. On this episode, joining me are Jeremy Simpson, the president and CEO of System Technologies, and Randolph Chastain IV, commander in the U.S. Navy. Gentlemen, welcome to HBCU. I'm happy to have you on the show thank today. You, thank you, thank you, thank you. Guys, as you know, this show is centered around really shining a spotlight on HBCUs mm -hmm. and all of the success stories that have come from, um, uh, from them. And so you guys are representative of just that. Uh, Jeremy, if you would, tell me a little bit about System Technologies. So System Technologies, we're an information solution provider. Uh, for the most part, we have our business structured in two various aspects, and that's a IT solutions perspective as well as an infrastructure perspective. On the solutions perspective side, we do more consulting, data analysis, and things like that. On the infrastructure side, we do, for the most part, we're doing access control, CCTV, structured cabling, phone systems, audio, video, and things of that nature. Great. So Randolph, what about you? So for me, my story is quite different than Jeremy's, of course. Um, but I'm in the Navy, retiring this year. Uh, made it up to the rank of commander, but I started out out of high school as an E1, as a seaman recruit. Uh, ended up going uh, for an officer commission through this program called Boost, Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training, where I got a chance to compete for a scholarship to go to college. That in turn was an HBCU, which I chose, chose, and it happened to be Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. From there, I received my commission and matriculated through the ranks up to commander, in which I'll be retiring this year. Yeah, you've had an impressive career, but this is what I wanna know. Why did you choose Southern University? I chose Southern University for one, uh, it is an HBCU. Two, uh, they had the Navy ROTC program, which paid my scholarship. Three, all of my family pretty much went to HBCU, so it was in me, and nothing could ever change how I felt about that. All of my family, my grandparents, my parents, aunts, cousins, brothers, friends, sister, all pretty much went to HBCUs. And so growing up, it was the example for me. It's something I knew that I wanted to do. And I had to figure out how to get there. Jeremy, how did you, did you end up at Alcorn? So mine is a unique story. Uh, interesting enough, I wanted to go to the Navy. <laughs> um, the unfortunate thing was that I was not able to go to the Navy. I had these big aspirations of going to the Navy, saying that they were always near the water and things like that. But I went to the recruiting office and the only thing that stopped me was that I was 17 and my parents wouldn't sign the papers for me to go to the Navy. So I think that from that point, my dad took me to Coma Community College, which is an HBCU. And from there, got into sports, got into really understanding what the HBCU environment was about. And then from there, how I ended up going to Alcorn State University was a young lady by the name of Ms. Laura Hearn who's a big HBCU booster, uh, talked to me, convinced me that Alcorn was the place to go. And from there, 
uh, got on campus, loved the environment. It was a good family environment, uh, well-perceived place to work. Now, Randy, your brothers, your grandmother, grandfa grandfather, all went to Alcorn. Yes. How'd you end up at Southern? <laughs> so, of course, I was pretty much born on what they call the reservation in Alcorn, you know, in the ruins. And so, um, Alcorn, I always have a love there. I know so much about that school. Um, and coming out of high school, I think I was going to go there, but I didn't have that full scholarship. And so I chose the Navy to figure out a way for me to get to college and have it fully paid for. And I explained that a little bit earlier. And so once I got that scholarship to college, there was only a few uh, HBCUs that offered Navy ROTC. And so I was like, well, let me see which one uh, is fit for me. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, uh, I was looking at Morehouse. I was looking at FAMU, Florida A&M. I was looking at Hampton, which I was familiar with uh, being stationed out in Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking at Southern University and Prairie View. And so then it came down to who was going to give me the most? Who was going to give me the bang for the buck? And at the end of the day, uh, I went to all the schools, visited them all. Southern gave me everything that I was looking for. And, and it felt like home when I stepped on the yard. That's how I chose Southern. So, go ahead. So I think that to his point, when you step onto an HBCU campus, it, it's something unique about it. And it's a family environment. You see a lot of individuals that look like you. You see various different uh, students that have very different conditions, some similar to yours, some may be different. Uh, but for the most part, it feels like home. It feels like you are a monk's family, and it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable in your walk, your, the way you approach everyday life, because you see in each individual student a part of you, and it's family. But every, every HBCU campus or the yard mm -hmm. have its own unique um, qualities, right, and, and oh, traditions. Yes. There are certain things you do you know, at Alcorn, and there's certain things you do at Southern, you know, you only get that experience on that campus. Right. Talk to me about that. what's unique about Alcorn. Well, one of the things that's unique about Alcorn is it's in the middle of nowhere. So for us, we were able to create more of a bond because when they say, when he talked about the reservation, you're eight miles from the highway and that eight mile stretch puts you 20 minutes from any civilization. So for us, it was more so Thursdays were the party nights because everybody would leave the campus on Fridays. Uh, but during that time, they always had different events, things that would keep the students motivated because like I said, it wasn't like another university that's in the heart of a city. So for us, the unique thing was football games, was basketball games, uh, on-campus activities, and things like that. They kept us really inspired. And they talked a lot about school pride. They talked about a lot about uh, Brave Nation and having pride in the institution yeah. a lot. What about you? So for Southern, I think it's a lot of things. And so uh, you look at where it's located. It's Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it's Louisiana. And so that culture on its own is different than anything else you'll experience in America. You know, I'm from Mississippi, 
and Louisiana is quite different than Mississippi. And so the way I look at Southern, it's like that gumbo. You know, you step over the hump, we call it a hump, and you get on the yard, you get that gumbo feel, you know, and what's different is the people. You know, you have people from everywhere, but that culture with those people brings out something different. And that's how you make that gumbo. And then <laughs> right. you have Spring Fest. Spring Fest, you bring out the crawfish, the potatoes, you know, the corn. You got all of that with the music, you know, the Zydeco, all that. And it's fun and special. And the, the friends that I made then are my friends to this day. Right. Lifelong friendships do um, come out of those um, situations. I agree. But I agree. you guys, you know, are railroad. <laughs> This is a big rivalry I got at the table. So, yes. from an athletic perspective, football, who has the best fo- uh, football team? Southern University. So, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a rivalry because, you know, Alcorn State University, what, for the past six years have been SWAC champs. So, you know, I wouldn't really consider that a rivalry <laughs> when, you know, you handedly uh, give Southern the business. <laughs> true, true enough. Southern, Southern we, we lost our way a little bit with Alcorn for a few years, but we won last year. We expect to beat you again this year and the year after, like we did all the years before you got on your trend. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you guys have a great atmosphere at Alcorn, but Southern, we're the standard. Well, it's, it's as the old biblical saying goes, it's good to speak those things that are not as though they are so. <laughs> but on top of that, you know, continue to seek and you shall find. <laughs> Knock and the door shall be open at some point, but it won't be by brave. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you think um, attending Southern prepared you for your professional career? Wow, so uh, that's a great question. I, I think Southern prepared me thoroughly Uh, I chose mechanical engineering as my undergrad major, not ever knowing any mechanical engineers in my atmosphere. Uh, But I chose it because I looked it up, I researched it and found that it was a a great career that I could probably, you know, make some money to to raise a family and, and take care of myself with, not knowing that I would stay in the Navy and all those things. So I chose it and got after it. And right away, it was it was okay. It wasn't too difficult. But as you got into the major, it was very difficult. And you knew right away you had to cut some things out. Like I was talking about, you know, going over the hump, you were automatically a part of that gumbo field. So everything that came with it, from the people to the parties, you were you were a part of all of that. And now you're in your major and it's hard. It's difficult. And the teachers weren't providing any slack. They wanted you to know that material because they wanted you to go out and represent and get a job and be great. And so I knew that I had to cut out some of that part to the gumbo yeah. so that I could get through the through the process yeah. and so I could carry on. And so I stopped partying. I had to, I had to, I had to focus. I spent nights, you know, in the lab studying and trying to learn the material so that I could graduate. And it was very difficult, but that those friendships I made, we all were doing the same thing. In mechanical engineering, we all were doing the same thing. And so at the end of the day, I think Southern prepared me for the next level by understanding how to build relationships and lean on people that were greater than you at some things. And they learned something from you at the same time. And you can get through processes together. And that's what the Navy was all about. What about you, Jerry? I think for me, Alcorn State University, as it relates to preparing me, was that we didn't have everything that most universities had. So 
first of all, if you can make it through an HBCU with the small amount of resources that an HBCU has, uh, you know, from going to try to enroll in a class to finding out that all your paperwork is not there to going to the financial aid office, work study, to then coming back to get in a long line and then finding out the class is closed and then finding a way to uh, make it happen. Uh, not on, on top of that, but preparing you to the point where for me, my major was computer science and applied mathematics. So my whole thought process initially was, okay, take a few classes and everything's gonna be okay. But then you start getting into vector analysis, numerical analysis, difference equations, C, and things like that. But those classes taught you process. And the business that I'm in is all about process. And that process is from beginning to end, the start of the project, the completion of the project. So we will have uh, classes and we will have midterms and it would be three math problems, but it's six pages is all about the process. So I think it trained me to think from an analytical perspective and able to process things really quickly. And the business that I'm in allowed me to be a little bit more successful because I think about process and I think about completing those tasks in an orderly and timely manner. But now with your company, you're operating in multiple states? Right. Talk to me about your geographic uh, footprint. So uh, we are in D.C., which we have an office in D.C., an office in Memphis, but our scope ranges from California to Oregon to Illinois to Arkansas. Uh, we partner with a transportation company called First Student, and First Student has bus contracts all over the country. So what we do with them is we do a lot of installs for them on their buses, be it cameras, be it uh, tablets, be it uh, RFID readers, Zonar equipment and things like that. So we're one of their partners with that. But on top of that, uh, we do a lot of stuff with other clients as well. We're doing construction projects and things like that with P3 Group. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Randy, uh, being a commander in the uh, Navy isn't something that you meet an African-American every day, and they're a commander in the Navy. Uh, talk to me about that journey, and, but, but also how rare it is for someone um, to make it to that level within the organization. Okay, so um, I started out as an E-1. I was a seaman recruit from Mississippi. Didn't know anybody in the Navy. Didn't learn until long after that, my grandfather served in World War II in the Navy as a mm. cook. So his journey, you know, he could only be a cook. So when I joined the Navy, took the ASVAB, I could do anything, especially with good ASVAB scores. But um, I couldn't be a leader, and I always thought of myself as a leader. That's why I wanted to go to college, you know, and figure out how I could be a leader like people I saw. Uh, Navy ROTC allowed me to do that, and then I got my commission upon graduation from college. I was an ensign, lowest level officer you could be. But at that time, um, you had to step through the process of qualifying. I'm a surface warfare officer, which means I'm one of those guys you see on the ships at sea, you know, with big guns, missiles, you know, and all of that stuff. And so 
you had to qualify. You had 18 months at the time to get your surface warfare officer pin and matriculate through that and become a professional, you know, in that discipline. And so I stepped through that and qualified. But it was it was very difficult. I was the only uh, black in my wardroom at the time. And I was the guy that had to be the example for all the guys that were enlisted on the ship. So I had to embrace that. But at the same time, I had to fulfill what I was there to do. And so Southern prepared me to do that. And the Navy allowed me to serve as a leader. And I took ownership of that. And so each step, it was no different. You know, as I made the rank as lieutenant junior grade, same difference. Mm -hmm. I still was that guy, you know, and you, you didn't see officers really at that time higher than you. There were some, but the numbers were so small that you rarely saw them. Some, some of my counterparts had the experience to serve with leaders um, that were examples to them as mentors, but I didn't, not in my, not in my path, not until later. And it was at once I was uh, a very young commander is when I first got that experience. So all that time, I never really had contact with a senior officer who was like me. And so I had to figure out how to progress through a system from ensign to commander and make it. And so I had to, you know, create relationships and figure out how to be successful. And it was very, very, very difficult. Uh, we only like 6% in the officer corps um, in the Navy. I think that's right. And so somebody could probably fact check that, but I know the number is very small and less mm -hmm. than 10%. And so when you have a makeup of say 300,000 people in the Navy and then only 6% of them are officers who happen to be black, it tells you a lot about what you will see when you're out there. Yeah. And so um, my goal was to get in position, do my best and be the example. Now I know there was an incident where you ran into your ROTC instructor at a football game, <laughs> and uh, I mean, and you talked about um, he was happy to find out that you had uh, excelled to the uh, level that you did. Just talk about him for a minute and, and the influence he had on, on you at uh, Southern University. So yes, uh, it was, uh, that was Captain Morris. He was our uh, Marine officer instructor. So at Southern, he was the guy responsible for instilling discipline, you know, instant and willing obedience to orders, you know, to us as we were midshipmen at the time. And uh, so we would go out, we would run, we would do rifle running, we would do pull-ups, push-ups, and all the calisthenics that you could think of. He was responsible for that, and he was very hard, but he had to be, because what he was trying to make us see at Southern is that it wasn't gonna be easy. And so he wasn't gonna let it be easy for us while we were at school. And so, you know, it prepared us, graduating from Southern, you know, getting his his work ethic instilled in us at college helped us. And once we got out there, it wasn't easy. It was a different charge, but it wasn't easy. And you think back on it. And I ran into him at a Hampton Howard game uh, last year and uh, and I hadn't seen him since college, but I knew who he was and I called him out and he stopped in his tracks and it was great to see he was happy to see me and we just laughed and smiled about the old things that he used to do <laughs> to get our minds right. It was right. Great. Right. Now, Jeremy, I know that uh, at Alcorn, those Gamma Pi noops run the yard, <laughs> but you are a member of Omega Sci-Fi fraternity, right? Uh, you forgot to incorporate it. 
Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about uh, your membership in Omega Sci-Fi and how it has impacted your professional career. Well, I think for me, it's all about relationship, brotherhood, and things of that nature. Not only with Omega Sci-Fi, but Calf Alpha Psi and the other fraternities and sororities as well. But from that, you begin to understand what brotherhood is about, uh, community service, and putting those things in place to be a leader in the community, to be an example. Uh, for me, as I was listening to him talk, uh, instilling in these young kids' mind that, you know, for me, it was always about exposure. And being from a small town, you didn't get a lot of exposure. But those summers of going to New York, Houston, Florida, and things like that, put a different perspective on life for me. Yeah. To the point to where what I saw is what I believed, and what I believed is what I wanted to become. So with that, uh, those are some of the things that being an Omega for me has afforded me the opportunity to give back, to bring to the minds of the youth that they can be whatever they want to be, and to show them that, hey, you see a person that looks like me, that looks like him, that came from the same environment and the same situation that have beat all the odds and can succeed. Right. Because people, uh, and I think that's the, the, the main focus of this show, mm -hmm. people cannot believe in things that they can't see, mm -hmm. right? And so this show is designed to pu push forward the real story of what HBCUs are doing to contribute to the global uh, economy uh, here in the, in the United States as well as abroad. Uh, Randy, uh, before we wrap the show up, uh, you told me a story about your, R, your ROTC instructor and one of the things he used to do. Get, just give us one of those quick stories. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, Captain Morris. Uh, <laughs> one time, um, <laughs> this guy, he, uh, you know, everybody wanted to be themselves. But in the Navy, you know, you're not really allowed to be yourself. You are part of a, a system. You're part of a process. You're part of a program. You're part of a unit. And he was there to help us understand that. This guy put on what he called a friendship bracelet. And so, <laughs> and so he wore it to ROTC one day and everybody else's uniform. We're all in the same outfit. He hmm. came in with the friendship bracelet on and Captain Moore saw it right away. Hmm. And he said, what is that on your arm? And he said, friendship bracelet, sir. <laughs> he said, are we friends? <laughs> and he said, no, sir. He said, well, take it off. <laughs> take it off. <laughs> and he cleared the road. It was unreal. Never forgot it. Never forgot it. And that guy to this day, I, my friend, he was from Mississippi, too. You know, we still laugh and joke about that because he understood then, you know, to be a part of this process, we all got to do the same thing. We all got to do what it takes to get to that next level. And you can't do that by doing what you want to do all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Jeremy, just uh, to, to close the show out. Okay. If you were had to talk to a young person, give us a few reasons why they should consider attending an HBCU. I think for me, the main reason I would say that it would be important for them to attend the HBCU is because you are contributing back to an institution that has 
laid the foundation, that has been an institution that has educated so many successful individuals that look like you, uh, that has a vested interest in someone that looks like you, will take pride in seeing someone like you succeed. So for me, an HBCU is, no, is a no-brainer from that perspective, but you build so many friendships, you establish so many relationships throughout your four-year or your tenure there at the university that can never, ever be replaced. I have friends that I've been in 20 years ago on the campus, and to this day, we will see each other, and we will talk for hours and hours as if we were uh, just talked the other day. So there's so much that you can gain right. from an educational perspective and from a personal perspective. Great. And, and for the record, he said your four-year or ten-year, not ten-year. Yeah. Even though we do have some that stay ten years. Yeah, you yes, do. Yes. You do. Yes. But, but before we close the show out, uh, I want to just acknowledge both of you guys and the contribution that you all have made to um, society, how um, your success have uplifted HBCUs and mm -hmm. contributed to the positive narrative and message that needs to be put out there concerning all the great things that uh, are coming out of the HBCU experience. And so for that, I want to present each of you with a HBCU Here you go, sir. Lifetime Achievement <laughs> Award. Thank and this you, is for you. your outstanding commitment and contribution to historically black colleges and universities. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you all for being on the show. I okay. really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And to my viewers, thank you for watching. And remember, without you, there's no me.